The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers. You've been warned. No, seriously, there's spoilers and, and foul language. Yeah. Welcome to $20 Ticket, where we tell you how much we would pay to watch Ocean's Eleven. My name is Kerwin, and joining me today is Jason. What up, Jason? Not much. How about you, Kerwin? I'm good, man. What are you drinking today? Just a Coors Light. All right. Also with us is Muggs. What up, Mugga? What up? What are you drinking today? Ultra. Uh, and uh, rounding out the panel today is Bling. What's up, Bling? What's going on, Kerwin? What are you drinking today? I'm drinking a Coke. A so what? A Coke. Oh. Okay. Soda, not, not, not cocaine. From Dairy Queen. <laughs> Kerwin's got water. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm drinking water. A little hungover today, so I'm going to take it easy. Um, so today we are talking about uh, Ocean's Eleven, released December 7th, 2001. It's produced by Village Roadshow Pictures, Jerry Weintraub Productions, Section 8 Productions, and NPV Entertainment, and it's distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures. The movie stars George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Bernie Mac, Elliot Gold, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Eddie Jemison, Don Cheadle, Xiaobo Chin, Carl Reiner, Matt Damon, Julia Roberts, and Andy Garcia. It's directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Ted Griffin. So before we get into behind the scenes, Muggs, why don't you hit us with the financials? All right, so this movie uh, got a budget of $85 million. Um, then it did very well. Again, came out in 2001. Um, domestic, a little over $183 million internationally 267 so worldwide this thing brought in close to 451 million so i thought that was really a a, a success i mean it obviously ignites the whole franchise um i do have where it ranks upon its whole franchise um before we get into that i want to know are we including oceans 8 into our franchise uh, i mean when we do the reviews for all yeah. these i think we could toss that in there okay so yeah. if, if, if we have this for this one ranks um, as far as overall the highest out of all four of them then. Okay. Yeah, and it literally goes in order of release dates. Basically, Ocean's uh, 12 came in second, Ocean's 13 was third, and then Ocean's 8 uh, was fourth. So it's kind of declining, I guess. I don't I don't know. Yeah. But it's still making money if you yeah. look at it. Um, this is 2001. There's a lot of great movies that were out in this whole year. Does anyone want to take a guess at anything you can remember in 2001? Because there's a lot of like just well-recognizable <laughs> I, movies. I, no, I think Lord of the Rings is one so of them. So in theaters at the time, Lord of the Rings wasn't, but it did have Harry Potter's. Okay. Um, but the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because Ocean's Eleven, when it was released that weekend, uh, was the box office number one. Okay. Um, but right below it was Harry Potter's. Um, you had Jurassic Park 3, American Pie 2. Um, I'm looking at other ones like Monsters, Inc., um, Behind Enemy Lines. And I just looked at where Ocean's Eleven then ranked um, throughout the whole year. Um, out of the top 10, this came in at number eight, which I thought was pretty, because this, good, this yeah. year had everything. You had Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, the first one that came out, mm-hmm. Monsters, Inc., Shrek. <laughs> I know that's one of our fan favorites. Um, Jurassic Park 3, Pearl Harbor, The Mummy Returns. But but this did well. This came in at number eight, so I thought that was kind of yeah, interesting. But uh, overall, very, very, very successful movie. Started the franchise, and uh, yeah, on a budget of $85 million, basically brought in about 451. So those are the financials. And that's good. Half a billion? Yeah. Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over how they paid the actors a little bit because I tried to find out how much. I mean, how do you have a budget of 85 filming in Vegas, doing all these things with this? I mean, Julia Roberts alone at the time was getting $20 million a movie. Yeah. Now, there's no way you can give. So we'll get into what these guys got paid. Mm-hmm. But I think they got paid on the back end, which I'll kind of get into. That but would explain it. I think yeah. with $85 million, to make a movie like this with that, I, I thought they did a good job. And what I, what I was listening to on the director commentary... It was actually under budget too. Like they actually came in under budget really? and faster than they thought it would be. Yeah, wow. they just wow. had like a great like just production team is what they said. So. Okay. All right, Jason, uh, why don't you tell us what the people thought of the movie? 
So on Rotten Tomatoes, um, 82% of the critics liked it, giving it a 6.95 out of 10 with uh, 174 ratings, 143 being fresh, 31 being rotten. So pretty good score. Audience gave it an average score of 3.59 out of 5 with 80% of the audience giving it a 3.5 or higher with uh, over 32 million ratings. So pretty decent. Um, I think we could all agree that it's at least this good, if not better. Um, IMDb gave it a 7.8 out of 10 with over 488,000 votes. So a little bit lower, but still pretty good. Um, as of, well, this is written in September, 2008, but, um, it was voted number 500 on empire magazines, 500 greatest movies of all time. Wow. Wow. So this is back in 2008. I try to find some interesting quotes that people said about the movie. A lot of them are very positive. I did find one negative. Uh, this guy named uh, Joe Lazito. He said, "Whatever you do, don't pay attention." Really? It's like, really? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm fucking offended. Yeah, Joe yeah. doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these other quotes uh, on Rotten Tomatoes that people that you know, positive. Yeah, they're very, very positive. Um, one person wrote. Uh, his name is David Nasser. Uh, extremely slick yet consistently entertaining, which I think we would all agree with. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to read all these quotes. Most of them are very good. Um, I just thought the one that was uh, a little negative was kind of funny. So, uh, that's all for the ratings. All right. Uh, so, Mugga, why don't you take us behind the scenes? All right. So, like you said, this was uh, done basically by two guys that started it screenwriter Ted Griffin and Steven Stutterberg, who was the actual director. Um, I went in to look at what he did prior to this. Two of his main films are Traffic and Aaron Brockovich which is kind of ironic because Julie Roberts was in that one, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, they both wanted to do this remake because it's a remake of the 1960s film and they wanted to have like their own and like different take on it. Um, it was even suggested at one point that they were going to shoot in LA and not have any Rat Pack references. And I'm wondering how that would have been. I mean, I know we have the Italian job, but like would it would have been good if it was in LA? I, I don't think so. I like the whole Vegas thing of it. Um, but they wanted to have like their own... Um, ideas and just take a whole different way but um, I'm glad they stuck with the Vegas thing Um, the original script was going to be 165 pages long Um, I guess after they sat down and cut stuff out they got it down to 115 is that short or is that small Colin for a for a script it seems kind of small right I mean I've never really actually like looked at a script so yeah. I have no idea what the length of a script so determines. with that being said I, I think there is a lot of improv we can all agree and I'm wondering that's why maybe it was, they just gave the actors the freedom um, but it, it does work uh, they also wanted to shoot this in black and white and the studio was like, yeah, we can do it. I said it was a budget of 85, right? They said, if you can do it, we're going to cut off 84 million. So they're basically saying like, no, you're not doing it black yeah. and white. You have to do this in color, which I'm glad they did. I thought it was a very clean look what they did. Yeah. Um, getting into like the uh, the locations, I want to start with that. Um, we do know that they go to LA. Um, there's a spot, which is one of my favorite scenes. They're at the deep club. This is where he, Brad Pitt is teaching. teaching yeah, all that. Um, that's an actual place in 2001. I didn't look it up to see if it's really, have you guys heard of the deep club? It's on Hollywood. Hollywood and Vine, the corner. No. Yeah, but no. that's it's a deep club. Um, they shot the part that you're seeing of the poker thing at a soundstage, but that was an actual club where they were walking through it. Um, Rusty driving around in Hollywood. They have all that. Basher's failed robbery. That was actually um, in L.A. as well. Um, the director, Stephen, was actually in that scene. Do you guys know that? Where he doesn't set it right, he yells at him. That's him in the background. There's one of the three guys. Oh, okay. It's kind of cool. I think I, th- I don't know if he does that for all of his movies, but yeah. Just cameos? Okay. Um, then they all have the uh, the Florida scene where it's the dog track. Have you guys remember mm-hmm. that scene? Yeah. That has actually taken place in Florida. What I thought was interesting is that there's a part where they go to find the amazing yen or the greaseman. Yeah. They say it's in San Diego. It's not in San Diego. They actually built that place, and the tent that you see them walking out is in the 
parking lot of that dog park, that oh, dog racing track. Okay. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, they are in Atlantic City at one point, not the casino, just the part where you have Daniel Ocean calling his parole officer and you have the Trump sign in the back. So there was that. And I think the reason why they did that, they actually filmed the prison scenes up in New Jersey. So it's kind of right around there um, at East Jersey State Prison in New Jersey. What was weird about this, though, is that you can definitely tell when he's getting out, it's kind of gloomy and dark. And then when he's sorry, he's getting out both times when he's getting out the first time it's gloomy and dark. When he gets out and Brad Pitt or Rusty's greeting him, it's like lighter out. The director wanted this. So they shot him completely different time frames of the movie Mm -hmm. because he wanted the weather, what he called differentiation. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, he requested we're not doing this back to back, you know, so which I I agree, you know, so Um, in Chicago, that's where you see uh, they get Matt Damon's character, Linus. Um, He's actually getting off the the, the train. um, But then they go to Emmett's Pub, which I kind of Jason and I went to there. Why didn't we go to this pub? I know I was thinking the same thing. I was was like, like, why didn't we go there? I mean, just to say we went there, I guess it's kind of a big place in Chicago. Um, But then you see him pulling the wallet, all that stuff. Did you guys notice that during that frame, it's a little different? Like the way they shot that scene. Do you know why they shot it the way they did? You're talking about the, the pull uh, scene of the wallet when he's off, when he's on the train. The yeah, yeah. What about it? So the reason why is Matt Damon was really so good at it that normal way you can't tell that he's actually stealing the wallet. Mm-hmm. So they had to do it like a little shot and then pause the frame just so you guys could actually see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which that's why it's it's like the only time they actually do it that way. Um, there's another pull in the movie. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Because I just found this out researching this movie. Is that yeah. when he takes the codes? Codes from uh, Terry Bennett. Yeah. yeah. Did you? I, I didn't. I never had. I never picked that up. Really? Did you guys? Really? Did, yeah. See, you, see, I didn't know either. No, he, I did know. You, oh, you just figured that out. I just figured that out. Yeah. yeah. I thought for some because and if you look at it closely, he gives the nod to Bernie Mac's character. Yeah. I had never. I and literally when I'm watching the director commentary because I, I thought they were just playing off each other like how hey, they don't know each other. He's calling them out. I don't, yeah. I had no. no idea that that was in there. But the director does say he thinks it's so fast that he's afraid that people wouldn't pick it up. So dumbasses like me that just didn't pick it up, you know, yeah. but, but whatever, you know, but, <laughs> but majority of that, you know, um, that takes place the majority. So if I want to get into, um, one thing and that's the main part is in Vegas, right? This is where a lot of this stuff was fought, uh, shot. They actually started in Vegas. So a lot of the stuff you see is at the beginning of the film because of Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it Weintraub? Is that right? Yeah. His connections in Vegas, they were allowed to do so many things. Um, they were allowed to shoot in the casinos and places actually on the strip. Caesar's Palace scene of the robbery. Do you guys remember when Elliot's character is talking about the three the failed three failed robberies? Yeah. Basically, Caesar's Palace gave them permission because of this guy saying, all right, you can film that scene at our front because Caesar's Palace is not one of the main three they're robbing, but that's in front of Caesar's Palace. They filmed it like two in the morning and they gave him all access. But that just shows you that this guy had pull and they were able to do so much stuff, especially the Bellagio. Um, but yeah, Jerry set that set that up. Um, his connections helped out with actual scenes of Bellagio. Um, only the behind the scenes of the casino were filmed on a soundstage. So everything that you see on like the casino floor is the actual Bellagio casino, which I thought was great. It's weird though, because if I go to a casino, I think the lighting's always dim. I don't know how they pulled that off. I don't, I mean, I thought that was really, really cool. They actually did close like part of like the Bellagio down. So they were losing like money. They actually closed like pits and all that other stuff because they had to like set up and do what they were doing. I couldn't find any financials. I don't know if like they were paying them the Bellagio money that they were losing or whatnot or. I didn't see financials either, but I read that at any given point when they were shooting 25 to 30% of the Bellagio casino was being used for production. Yeah. I mean, that's a big chunk. And then they said that the lead cast members, so I'm looking at George Clooney, Matt Damon, yeah. Brad Pitt. They said they each 
when they were there, they stayed at the Bellagio. They I, each had yeah, their, their own, own villa, villa that yeah. was 7,000 square feet each. Yeah, so because they were staying at this, they have a 7,000 square foot villa. And because this movie is, I mean, Daniel Ocean or George Clooney is the main character, but they all have their own, you know, arc or whatever you want to call it, their own story. So there was days that they would have off. I guess they hit the tables all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of like a big party for them for a couple yeah. weeks that they were staying. Um, they would get days off. Clooney was reported to have lost a good amount of money. I couldn't find out what, but Rounders star himself, Matt Damon, I guess at one point lost 25 blackjack hands in a row. Wow. So they were like making fun of him for that. But yeah, I mean, I think that'd be kind of cool. You have your own 7,000 foot villa at the Bellagio. And then when you're not working, you get to go like have fun in Vegas and mm-hmm. you know, they have money, but I mean, kind of getting into, you know, the casinos losing money. I mean, we, we know about this wine shop guy. He had pull, like you right. said, like he got all the connects. But do you think that the popularity of this movie kind of drove more business to the strip afterwards? I'm, I'm not going to lie. I wanted to go to the Bellagio right after I saw this movie. You yeah. know, and that's when I was getting toward I was 21. And it, it might have, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, what do you guys? I, I think so. I think you're right on that. I, I think so, too. I think I think they even, if, if I recall, they, you know, anytime they come out with a movie that's tied to Vegas, they'll come out with like slot machine related yeah. type slots or they'll always will play off Hollywood films and, you know, make a game out of it. So I think it did have a positive effect on tourism for Vegas. Yeah, and I think um, we talked about this during the Top Gun episode, how um, I think Navy recruitment like skyrocketed because of the movie. Yeah. So maybe, maybe you know, they were willing to take the L on the financials because they knew the business would be so much better after. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are a couple scenes that you see them prepping for their heist and the background is the strip itself. So that is an MGM um, warehouse which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know if this is another one of this guy's Jerry's connections where they could do that, but a lot of the stuff, all their prep and all that was shot there, um, but I couldn't figure out how they got it. I'm assuming it's either studio or some, with, I mean, MGM, I don't know. I mean, I know they're affiliated with movies. I mean, but that's an actual like warehouse in the background. I thought that was kind of cool where they mm-hmm. did all that stuff. I did look up on IMDb, like all the other locations. They have Palm Springs as a location. Is it Elliot's house or is that what it is? Because I know if you look at Elliot's house in the background, you have like a mountain range, which in Vegas, they're not. I mean, there's some, but not a lot, right? Yeah, so that that one's in Palm Springs. I think they spent like two hundred grand or something really? like that to rent out that house and film it's it a there. Nice yeah. House, yeah, oh yeah, it's really they nice. do. Have, I work in Victorville. They have Victorville on there somehow. I don't know what the hell is in Victorville. What I don't know what. I don't know that one. Yeah, either. yeah, I don't know. But anyways, um, you know what I think for Victorville? I think it was when they're the the Malloys are racing. Remember how they're racing? You know the, what? The, you might the, be the right. The trucks. Yeah, it might be the, right. The, 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 um, but getting into that, um, I do want to get into a couple things. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed. Um, so the opening scene, it was the very first thing that was shot other than the Vegas, um, where Daniel Ocean is going to a, a, a panel trying to get his parole. Um, they wanted to cut back and forth from that. And they, the director was so unhappy with the lighting, but they said that Daniel Ocean just basically was so good in it that he had to like keep it in, you know? And I think that just shows you like the improv or the acting that they were getting into that that's what really drives this movie in my opinion you know so I kind of want to get into the cast if unless you guys have anything else on locations yeah Um, we'll start with George Clooney Um, he plays Daniel Ocean he was actually going to do a movie called Unfaithful I don't know if you guys know about that movie that's with uh, Richard Gere and I think oh yeah I think he was set to do that movie but because of this movie his commitment to that made him force out of it so I thought that was interesting but he was always going to be Danny Ocean there was no um, any other actor that I think they had up they had Bernie Mac as playing Frank uh, is it Catton yeah Okay, I read that Danny Glover was up for this role. Really? Which I'm kind of glad. I think Bernie Mac nailed it. I mean, he's oh, great yeah. in it, you know. I don't know how it would have felt if Danny Glover would have been there. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt is uh, Rusty Ryan. 
Um, his real name is supposed to be Robert. So I don't know if they ever mentioned that. I always know him as Rusty. They, they mentioned it in Ocean's 12. Yeah. So what's the main thing you know about his character in this movie? He's always eating. He's always eating, right? You yeah. Know? So one of the first scenes that they filmed with him was um, when they find out who Tess is. Matt Damon has to do some recon work following Andy Garcia's character. And the first time they was there, Brad Pitt just suggested, I think he should be eating right now. He said, are you sure? Like, I'm gonna have to do a couple takes. You're gonna be eating a lot of, and he wanted to do an actual shrimp cocktail. Yeah. He says, you're gonna eat. So I guess he reported ate like 40 shrimp during that time. <laughs> but because of that, it was, and I, I heard Brad Pitt does that. He always has ideas, bounces them off. His thing was, I should be eating something. And then from then on out, it was more like rusty such a busy guy that he was always got to eat on the go. So there's like a reason for it. It's not like, oh, just cool. Like that was his character. Like he's just so busy doing things. He doesn't just sit down and eat. He's always on the run. Go, go, go. See, what I read was that they filmed scenes so consistently, so fast paced back to back to back that the actors literally didn't have time to eat. Oh, really? So you just figured he'd eat on camera. And he did that once and yeah. they just kept it going. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe that was it too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty smart. Um, Elliot Gould plays Ruben. Um, uh, they were going over possible characters for this. Um, when his name was announced, the director and the writer said, this has got to be him. And I think they had no problem casting him. Um, here's where it gets interesting. You have Casey Affleck and Scott Can. Uh, they played the Malloy brothers. There was two other real brothers that were supposed to play these guys, which is Luke and Owen Wilson. Really? Which I thought, yeah, but because of the Royal Tannenbaums, they had to back out. Mm. Which, they would have been good. I'm not saying that, but how do you guys feel about Casey and Scott? I, I love them together, especially in the other two movies. Yeah. I yeah. think they're dynamic, and they're, but they're, they're great in this one. It's some of my treasures. They're a little... I think even during the timing, they weren't really known actors like they are now. Right. Like, I mean, I saw this movie after the fact, and I'm like, oh, crap. I love these guys, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, then you have uh, Eddie Jemison as Livesey Dell. I didn't have anyone that was going to play him. I just, I mean, I, I thought he does great. They wanted some guy that wasn't your little popular, well-dressed, slick guy. I think mm -hmm. he fits the part. Yeah. Um, then you have Don Cheadle, who plays Basher. Um, interesting fact on him, he is not credited on this film. He's credited on Ocean's 12 and uh -huh. 13, not on this one. This is the reason that I got, and maybe Jason can back him up. He explained that there were broader issues and wanted his name taken off of it. I don't understand why. I could not find out. Do you know why? So what I read was that he wanted, so Don Cheadle wanted his name to be credited above the title along with Pitt, Clooney, and Damon. Oh, um, okay. But the studio wouldn't approve it. So he's like, if you're not going to do that, then pretty much fuck you. Like, I don't want, want my name credited at all in this movie. Uh, that's interesting. Okay. So, um, but he is credited the next, um, the next two, the next two movies. Yeah, he hates his accent in this movie. Like he absolutely hates it. Yeah, like, yeah. even though he did a good job, but he he says I, I I hated that I had to do it. Right? He did not. Yeah, he, I, I think he's he embarrassed. Cringed, embarrassed in a sense. And he what said I he got. went to his agent because he preparing for the next two movies. He said, Hey, is there any freaking way I can lose this accent and yeah. not do the accent? He's like, Sorry, bud. <laughs> like yeah. you, you got to stick with it. Yeah. But so, do, you, do you know who? Sorry, do you know who was up for the role of Basher? I have a bunch of guys that were up for just roles in here but not just for Basher itself Ewan McGregor I do have him down yeah mm -hmm. I didn't know it was for Basher was that's for pretty Basher. interesting sorry go ahead I, I like Don Cheadle though yeah he does a great job yeah. um, but as far as his accent though like okay because I was watching it today and I'll get into this in Trash or Treasure or whatever but like I remember the accent being much better when I was younger mm -hmm. so when I was watching it this morning I was just like I was like I don't like yeah. him having this accent I, I don't like it for whatever reason it just feels acted still love the character of the movie overall but like as far as his accent goes was that something that was written that he was unaware of or did he know that he was gonna have to do that accent going in or it was part of the script yeah oh, yeah they said he went i think 
I don't know how many weeks it was, but he went to London and like studied like the accent and tried to perfect it. So, I mean, it was something he knew that he agreed to going into this role wasn't sprung on him. But from what I was reading too, like he looks back and he just cringes when he sees it. And uh, yeah, he really didn't want to do it for the next two, but he had to. Um, next guy is the amazing Yen. His name is, back me up. Someone. I got you. It's Xiaobo uh, Chi. Xiaobo Chi. Chi, cool. Yeah. So he is the amazing Yen. So this guy is an actual professional acrobat, right? It's very transparent. You can see that. He speaks no English at all. And so what he did is he had his own translator and coach with him. Mm -hmm. He was literally told where to go, what to do, and what to say on his cue. So he knew when to say it. Mm -hmm. Like when he, you know, says like, what the fuck you been? You know, like that. (laughs) And then like other parts, you know, which I kind of admire. Like he just kind of like blind going into it because he doesn't speak English. Mm -hmm. But he did have like an actual translator. Like, hey, they're going to say this. You got to say this right then. And then he was just like coordinated where to go and all that. So do, do you know they found him or no, I have no idea. Okay. So, uh, he was rehearsing with an outfit called the pecking acrobats and he was spotted and just on the spot, he was offered the role of Yen. Wow. So they just saw him performing. They was it by, so was much. it by the producer or the, the writers? Or? Uh, it doesn't, it, I didn't get who it's did probably it the writer and the director. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. Um, then you get into Saul Bloom, Carl Reiner. Um, this guy, his first scene was shot at the Florida one. He literally found out he was doing it five days before. They kind of offered it to him, so five days, and he flew to Florida and got all that going on. I think that's kind of impressive, you know? Like, this guy does a really good job faking his illness and other stuff. Um, Do you know who was up for his role? So, okay, let me just tell you guys that I have considered for roles, and then you can kind of... I have Mike Myers up for something, Bruce Willis, um, Ewan McGregor, and Alan Arkin and Ralph Fiennes. I don't know who those guys are. Ralph Fiennes? Fiennes, Fiennes, yeah. yeah. Who's that guy? Ralph Fiennes, he plays a Voldemort in uh, in Harry Potter series. Oh, does he? And he's he's Q in the or M, sorry M, yeah M in the okay. later the James. I, I have those guys that were up for roles in this movie, and there's some other ones that I'm going to get into, which is a big one coming up. But okay, well Don Rickles was up for. Was he really later. Don Rickles? Was he in the original? I know he's in Casino. He might have been in the original Ocean's Eleven. I don't. I, I haven't seen the original Ocean's so. Eleven, so I don't. Know. Okay, the main one though that I thought was interesting to look up is Matt Damon's character Linus Caldwell. Um, there are some big names that were up for this part. Um, one was Johnny Depp. I think he was just considered, but I think Mark Wahlberg was actually casted for this. So he's actually casted, but left for Planet of the Apes. So okay. is that a bad move on his part? Because when I say that, there's a reason why. He's basically, because of this, gone on record saying he's dissed this movie. Not Planet of the Apes, but this movie. And I do have his quote. Um, he says, people tell George Clooney it's great, but we all know it sucked. I made two bad movies instead, Planet of the Apes and The Truth About Charlie. But doing that was better than sitting with Brad Pitt and George telling press how great everybody is. We were in Europe. George was funny. Then we had some wine. That's just not for me. And I'm like, wow, it's kind of bitter right there, you know? Yeah, Yeah. this is what he has actually said on on camera, yeah. Wow. So he he is not upset that he passed. He's not upset that he passed. Um, I think it would have worked if it had been Matt Damon. I mean, uh, Mark Wahlberg. I don't know what you guys think. I do like Matt Damon, but I think Mark Wahlberg could have been good. We do see him in a heist movie, The Italian Job, but I thought that was interesting. Um, Andy Garcia as Terry Benedict. Do you have anyone that was going to play him? I mean, I'm wondering if it would have been Bruce Willis or some of those guys. I, I don't know. I think Andy Garcia is the perfect guy for this yeah. role. No, Bruce Willis was up for Danny Ocean. Was he? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I did not know that. 
Um, Julia Roberts as Tess. Um, she had just gotten doing Aaron Brockovich and she was given the script by George Clooney with a $20 attached to it, which is hey, $20 ticket. Kind of cool, right? No? Right. <laughs> um, uh, $20 attached to it. And because her fee for movies was 20 million at the time, yeah. uh, George Clooney just thought, Hey, this is a good way to get you to read the script, see if you like it. And she loved it. She is not a fan though of the original movie. I think her along with other co-stars have been said saying they, they tried watching and they couldn't get through it. Her especially, she said she fell asleep, I think two or three times trying to just get through it. Really? So yeah, they were, they were not, it, it was a slower movie from what I was told. I, I have not watched it. I haven't watched but, it either. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it has a all-star cast, you, you know, some Hollywood's elite. Yeah. So you would think it'd be in a good movie. Maybe it's just different movie at the time. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, when he, when George Clooney uh, attached the 20 to the, uh, the script, it said in quotes, I hear you're getting 20 a picture now. Yeah. She was getting 20, so I thought that was pretty funny. Um, she filmed all of her scenes in two weeks. Yeah, she was only two. in Vegas for two weeks. Um, but I guess it was kind of funny because it's mainly an, an all-male cast. Yeah. And when yeah, you have Julia Roberts in there. So I guess, like, especially George Clooney played a lot of pranks on Julia Roberts. Oh, I heard it was a bunch of stuff going on, yeah. Yeah, so... And she was I, getting pissed, right? Yeah, she was getting yeah. upset, but she I think she took it all in good fun. Like, they would call her at 5 a.m. wake-up calls when she didn't start shooting till noon. So, like, just really <laughs> fucked with her a lot, but... Yeah, just some stuff on Julia Roberts. So we've gone through the majority of the cast. Um, you do have the actors at the beginning that play themselves and all that, but that's the main part of it. Again, a budget of $85 million, the pay. I don't understand how they pulled this off. In reading what it, I found an article that the cast came to a, a collective decision that making the film took precedence over receiving their high salaries, which I kind of admire. I think they're both all putting their egos aside Everyone, hey, we just want to do it for the right reason, make a good film and all that. George Clooney's also said, we're going to have a terrific cast, everybody working below rate. We said, if we all get paid, we can't make the movie, so why don't we all just take the big chunk of the back end, work cheap, and see if there's any money at the end? So I get that as they took money on the back end of the success of the film, which, mm -hmm. so I don't know how, but I could still not find out how much each of them made or whatnot, and maybe it's just unknown because they got stuff on the back end. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's how they kind of got all together. Um, I do have some interesting facts um, that I would like to go over. Um, this movie is very well done, but there is some CGI in it. I thought it was all natural, but there is CGI in it. There's actually three times where they use CGI. I know we had already talked about this to our little meeting prior to this podcast, but do you guys want to check it, take a guess, or you want to just run through it? Because it's, it's really almost comical. Okay. Like, so, well, one of them is the lights in Vegas. So you cannot take out all of Vegas flights. So they had an effects team do the, the aerial vision where you see the strip kind of going dark. Yeah. Um, the stuff that you see in the actual boxing arena, which I'll get into that scene, okay, as well I'm as safe. the casino, they actually shut the lights off. I think the Bellagio shut the lights up on the casino floor as well as that that boxing that boxing match. Yeah. Okay. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So that was one. The other two are really comical. One is when they're at the racetrack. They want Saul to be upset because his dog comes in last, but the dog that, he, that would not come in last, and they wanted a dog. So when you watch it, there's a dog trailing. That was a CGI dog. Oh, Yeah, wow, so okay. there's that. And the other one is when Yen is getting into the little compartment, yeah. to, and he flips him off. Yeah. That is not his hand. They couldn't get the hand right, so they had the CGI do his hand towards the middle finger. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's like, this guy can do everything else, but he can't get a middle finger out. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So I, I thought that was good. Um, the big one that I would like to go over is the fight scene. I could have swore they had an actual fight in Vegas. They probably said, hey, we're going to film this movie 
everyone just kind of go with it and lectures. I think they do that for like baseball games or sporting events. Yeah. No, they, they got 2,000 extras for this movie in an arena that holds roughly 10,000 people. And they got this all done in two days. Um, they, those are two legit fighters, Lennox Lewis. What's the other guy's I think name? Vladimir Klitschko. Yeah. And they said they wanted to have two guys. They were talk about Tyson and someone else, but they wanted guys that they thought theoretically would fight at this time frame. And I guess these guys were good sports. They said, you know, it, maybe what we'll do this for the movie and all that stuff. But they had 2,000 extras and they basically would just rotate them wherever they needed them to go, uh-huh. which is impressive. If you do go back and look, you can tell the upper rafters are vacant though. But really? but they, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all just I'm surprised they actually, like I said, when you talk about the budget, I mean, just the cameos in this film. Yeah. I mean, you, you see Wayne, I, I, you see Wayne Newton and you see, off. like yeah. I said, two prize fighters at the time. I'm like, having them just say, hey, just come in and do a movie. We're not going to pay you. Yeah. It just, it's amazing. Um, one thing I'd like to talk about, and then we can get to some other fun facts, is the way this movie is first directed but then cut. It does such a great job as like cutting from story to story. It's one of my treasures on it. I don't know mm-hmm. if you guys have noticed all the things that he that he does. Like for instance, I just want to even bring up the balloon scene. So you have Brad Pitt trying to get the credentials right mm-hmm. of that guy, and he immediately was like, "How do I transition here?" to the other guys and he knows that they were going to use the balloons so he went out and bought the balloons so what he does is he puts the balloons in the car with Brad Pitt zooms in on the balloons and then zooms out and now you're with the Malloy brothers where they have their little scene and he does this numerous times with either cuts or answering a question like the pinch mm-hmm. and you can see like the panoramic just I, I, and he does like split screen sometimes because mm-hmm. everyone's doing something during the heist of the casino I, I really thought it was great he, he thought that the transitions for this movie were like the key to it in order to make the movie flow and how it had to happen, um, which I, I kind of agree with. I, I thought they did a great job at not making this slow or you're confused. It just kind of goes and keeps flowing, you know. But some of the transitions made it feel like kind of like an old timey kind of film too, did which but I liked. I liked yeah. it, but it, I don't know. Just it fit really well with the story and being in Vegas. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I fit really well, but I, it, it was unique. I liked it though. Yeah. So yeah, the other thing was the hotel that basically got demolished was originally supposed to be New York, New York, mm. which was a big deal because they were filming this before 9-11 mm-hmm. and then 9-11 came out and they thought that there's no way you can have the hotel New York, New York go down. So they replaced it with the shots that you see now with the fictitious hotel. Is it Xandu? Xanadu, yeah. Xanadu, yeah. yeah. And that's and that's why you see that. Um, it was, But it was really supposed to be New York, New York. So oh. I thought that was interesting. But, uh, but yeah, other than that, that's kind of the basis of the movie and I got a couple other like little behind the scene things that maybe you guys got or do you guys have anything you want to no. say? Like I know the pinch. I looked up what the pinch was. Have you looked up that? A little bit. Do you want to go over that? So what I read was that the pinch would be much, much bigger. So I 20 by 20 by yeah. 20 by 20 feet is what a real pinch would, but it would not even take out Vegas. There's no way. Like they said, well, what would actually take out? He goes, a nuclear bomb would take out Vegas if that's what you wanted. A pinch would not do what it, but there is a, a such thing called a pinch. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, it, it wouldn't run off of a couple car batteries in no, a van no. and be able to fit in there. I mean, it's cool. It looks cool. I understand the premise. I understand it could it could happen, but yeah, there's no way that something that small would knock out all of Vegas. Right. I know what an EMP pulse is, and I, I, it crushes the van, but I think I figured it caused more radius damage than that. Yeah. Do you like when Don Cheadle covers his junk? <laughs> <and he's about laughs> to do it, you know. Yeah. Um, another fun fact that I have: uh, 
Brad Pitt was going to be the doctor, which I don't like. I don't like him being the doctor at that one point. Mm-hmm. Um, he is wearing a wig. Mm-hmm. They said, hey, we have this wig that Mike Myers used to get in preparation for uh, Austin Powers. And so he put that wig on and they said, oh, and they put the glasses and he was almost unrecognizable as Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. So they went with that. But Brad Pitt has to, he would put this on and just walk around the casino floors for a, like, yeah, like durations of time just to see if it worked and no one would recognize him. <laughs> so you could have been playing blackjack and it's Brad Pitt. He had no idea, you know? So I thought that was kind of a cool thing. One, one thing that I had that I just thought was, was kind of funny. Um, according to IMDb, there, there's a part in the movie that uh, I've always wondered about. And it's when Rusty says to Danny, or Brad Pitt says to George Clooney, he says, off the top of my head, I say you're looking at one Boski, a Jim Brown, a Miss Daisy, two Jethro's, a Leon Spinks, not to mention the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever. And what he's talking about here, for the first time watching this, I mean, this is what, 2001? So yeah. I'm just like, oh, there's a bunch of people's names. I always knew there was an original. So I'm like, oh, he's probably referencing something from the original movie. But what it really is is, a, is like code names for different cons. So again, according to IMDb, I'm just going to run through a couple of them just just so you guys know. So um, when he talks about uh, a Boski, it's he's talking about Saul playing Lyman Zerga. This is a reference to Ivan Boski, a big time trader on Wall Street who got caught committing securities fraud. The con is about a wealthy bankroller who has insider info. Jim Brown. Uh, the confrontation between Frank Catton and Linus. Stage to distract. Remember when they're in that room, the what they call the NGC, when they're sitting down and talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- it was like stage to distract Terry Benedict, so Linus could steal what you didn't know, Mugs. He actually stole yeah, the coach. Yeah. It's but tell me, it's not fast though. <laughs> yeah. it, it is. So I was watching this with Elizabeth yesterday morning, just because she had never seen it. And I wanted to be fresh with the movie. I hadn't seen it in like a year or so. So we're watching it and like, she's like half on her phone, half watching it. And like, this just happened. And I knew this happened. So I paused it. I was like, do you even see what happened? She's like, Oh no, well, what's going on? And then we, we go back. Cause like, it was at the part where he's pulling it out now. Yeah. And I was like, do you know how he got that? And she had no idea. Cause it does happen so yeah. fast. Mm-hmm. And I guess it does take a couple times of watching it and really paying attention to see it. But mm-hmm. I, I like that part. There's a setup though. Cause when uh, he first meets Linus and he says he's from the Nevada gaming commission and they're walking through the casino, um, he takes the envelope out of the binder that he's given. So he always gets that black portfolio and then he puts it in his, what was it, left jacket pocket? Yeah. Or right jacket pocket, whatever he put it in. <laughs> yeah, so like there's there's like a clear setup for like you knowing that he's gonna, he's gonna I, take it. I, honestly, I've never, I thought that somehow in wherever they were, he just got it and that's how they're just showing it, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't know, I never got it until I, I was listening to the commentary. But what really gives it away is when Damon or Linus gives him the little like nod like I got it and so Bernie Mac's character is like okay we're good and he can keep going along with it you know and doing what he's doing so yeah that Jim Brown was uh, an American football player um Miss Daisy, so the SWAT vehicle used as a getaway car, um, so uh, driving Miss Daisy. Um, two Jethro's, so it's... So they actually used all those methods is what you're talking about? Well, it's just in reference, so it's like yeah. if you want to talk in code or whatever, that's that's how they that's how they speak. So the two Jethro's is in reference to the Beverly Hillbillies, uh, the Malloy brothers. Okay. Um, so like two gearhead types. Um, hired to take care of Miss Daisy, distraction purposes, and for general two-man work. Leon Spinks is in reference to the disruption of the boxing match. This refers to the surprise victory of Leon Spinks over Muhammad Ali. 
And then Ella Fitzgerald is a reference to the loop tape of the robbery that is created so they can rob Benedict's vault. Mm -hmm. Um, A reference to a 1970s commercial for Memorex in which recording of Ella Fitzgerald's voice breaks a glass and the question is posed to the viewer, is it live or is it Memorex? So I don't know. I thought that was kind of... Because you watch this stuff and it's so quick. I mean... With this movie, it's again, I don't want to get my trash and treasure, but one of my treasures is like every single thing has a purpose or is in reference to something. Like there's nothing Mm -hmm. that I don't feel like it's added in or shoved in there for whatever. It's like everything they talk about, everything they do, everything they say, it's all in reference to something that adds more to the movie. Something else I was thinking about too, like there's a, I think when Terry Benedict's talking about what someone might do with the money when he's talking, when he's threatening George Clooney about like catching them or whatever it is, like about like, anyone that you know robs from him he talks about like a hundred thousand dollars like buying a car or whatever and i guess uh the producer we we're talking about that's real connected in, mm-hmm. in vegas he's real good friends with the guy that owns the win and i guess the daughter of the guy that owns the win was like kidnapped at one point and the kidnappers bought a car in cash like a really expensive car so like even just that little line oh, wow. that terry bendick says like every single thing in this movie is re- in reference to something so mm-hmm. i don't know that's why i kind of want to look this up and see what it really meant so mm-hmm. um i think that's all I got, though. Let's get into uh, our experience. Bling, why don't you tell us your experience with this movie? I actually did not see this film until like almost, I think, a decade later. Like, and which is odd because you know, if anybody knows me, I'm like the big gambling Vegas guy. The, the first time I actually watched this film was, I think it was like 2015. They had a Blu-ray that had all three movies. <laughs> packaged together and I'm like you know what this is I've heard so much about this movie let me buy it and when I actually watched it I'm like why didn't I haven't I watched this for like the last decade this is an amazing it's a good movie yeah, yeah it's a really good movie and you know I just appreciate that you know they got so many you know big name actors on on screen and they were able to shine so I watched it in the comfort of my own home and this is one of those films that I kind of watch at least once a year so um but great film yeah that's my experience with it all right, Jason, what's your experience with Ocean's Eleven? I'm pretty sure I saw this in theaters. I think this is one of those weekends. My dad took my sister and I to go watch a movie. This is the one we picked. Again, nothing real memorable. I mean, I remember liking the movie from the get-go, being impressed with all the actors in it. Um, but this is definitely one of those movies, you know, when I had you know cable TV, like if it ever came on, I'm definitely going to watch it. Um, I think like a month or two ago, like a handful of them were on Netflix, like either one and two or one and three. So I remember, you know, watching Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Thirteen when it was on Netflix. So it's one of those movies that's always a go-to if there's nothing else on. Like um, there's always something else new you see, and I I appreciate the movie every time I see it. So yeah, nothing real memorable, but that's my experience. All right, Mugga, what about you? Yeah, I, I don't have anything like memorable about it. I did see it in theaters, but I did like it. One thing I do remember is this is in 2001, so I, I am just started college, and my friends and I, that's when the DVD craze was going around, because mm-hmm. it was like like 2000 when it started, right, or 99, whatever it was. 99, yeah. And I was just like, we were so anxious when this was going to come out that we really, really wanted this movie to buy the actual DVD, and I, I really remember that. But I did see it in theaters. Um, when we were able to buy it, we finally got that, but um, but nothing memorable. I just, a good movie. I didn't walk out unsatisfied, but nothing to where I was like, oh, then this happened, or you know, but yeah, it, it was a good movie, though. Uh, my experience, uh, I never saw this in theaters. I, I always remembered um, this movie being a thing. And I, I always assumed it was just one movie when I was younger. Um, it wasn't until uh, Ocean's 13 came out 
and it was coming out on a DVD that I actually bought like the the three pack. I think I was at like a Costco or a Sam's Club or something, and they just had like the three pack hella cheap. So I just bought it there, took it home and watched it. But um, the thing that always like surprised me, I was just like, "There's an Ocean's 13. I thought it was called Ocean's Eleven, and it and it wasn't until I got the three pack that I realized that they had been making sequels this whole time. So, <laughs> um, I ended up watching the movie, the whole trilogy. You know, I got some reservations about the second movie, but I remember being in college um, and just like watching the shit out of these movies. Yeah. Like, I, w- I would watch Ocean's Eleven and Ocean's Thirteen all the time. Um, so like I, I still have the DVD. So um, but for this podcast, I just watched it this morning before we recorded. And yeah, that's my experience. Has anyone watched the original? No, the, yeah, the, I haven't either. The Frank Sinatra version, to, yeah. But they, they, people, ever like even like my parents they said it wasn't that good. They said even if like this one is nothing like the other one, really? and so they okay. said don't even. They didn't even recommend it, even though I my my family was a big Sinatra fan, and all that. But. Yeah, see, which I'm I'm, I'm surprised because usually you know, and that's why I think the, that critic panned this film is that you know some critics hate remakes and they say yeah. oh you, you you ruin the the original you do it an injustice and so that's why i would think like the original is like the holy grail and these right. are just like okay good remakes but maybe that's not the case yeah. <laughs> and I, I think you gotta gotta look at it this way too like um i mean it just had the, all the star power and that's probably what lends it its credibility right. even if the movie's not good but i also think they did something cool with this movie too is just like they got star power for this movie as well they did the ensemble thing yeah. as well so i thought that was that's, a, that's probably the only parallel we'll get yeah the, the original is in vegas too right yeah yeah, yeah. so i think those that's where the parallels kind of stop but i think yeah, I haven't seen the old movie, but I think um, whatever they decided to do to avoid it, I'm glad they did yeah. it, and we got the movie. We Get got. their own touch on it. Yeah. I mean, we look at it now, and he has an we say he has an ensemble cast, but I mean, if you look at the timing, I, I'm trying to really think of who was big when in 2001 when this came out. I, you could argue, yeah, Brad Pitt's established, George Clooney, I think, was big on TV with like ER. Um, Matt Damon obviously had, I think, he had Google Hunting, so he was established. Um, but I mean. Don Cheadle, Casey Affleck. Um, I mean, I don't know if they were really established I, yet. Casey Affleck was on American Pie. I think that's all I ever known him on. Yeah. Was he on anything else that I'm not before this? I mean, I know now he's been. But yeah, Scott Kahn, he wasn't, I mean, I don't. He was on a couple movies. He was on Varsity Blues. Okay. Um, I remember from Entourage. On, that's why I was like, oh, he's on. He, yeah, he's on <laughs> And then Hawaii. Hawaii. Prior to this, yeah. though, he was on, he was on um, Varsity Blues. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the, he was in a movie called Into the Blue with... Mm-hmm. Um, Rest in peace, his name. God, the guy. Paul Walker. Him. Paul Walker. Yeah. Um, and there was another movie I can't think of, but I, I like him as an actor. I think he's yeah. hilarious, you know. Was Boogie Nights before this? Or is this yeah. yeah. Boogie yeah. Nights so was I mean, Don, yeah. Don Cheeto Don was in, was in yeah. that one. Okay. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I, I see what you're and saying. And then Bernie Mac, I knew him just from stand up. So he wasn't even, I think he wasn't even doing movies at that point really yet. He wasn't? So, no. But I remember he, in, in the 90s, he was, he was a huge stand up guy. So, um, for him to be in this film is like, oh, there's, there, you know, it's kind of taking the role like, hey, you know, got like guys like Martin Lawrence, got guys like Will Smith, you know, branching out from their comedy roles and actually being in like blockbuster serious movies. So I thought Bernie Mac, wasn't he in Friday? Yeah, he yeah, was in Friday. Yeah, he had a Kelly. Oh, you're, yeah. you're just not, not a it big role. It wasn't like a big role. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I I read somewhere, although he denied it, I guess Steve Harvey was approached to play Bernie Mac's role. Was Frank he? Catton. I mean, he denies it on the, like some radio program, but uh, I read that he was approached. Hmm. That would have been weird because Bernie Mac is awesome, man. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think I would ever want to replace Bernie Mac. No, yeah. he does no great. Yeah, yeah, man, I love that dude. Because I, I, I mean, I, I just don't see Steve Harvey, I don't, or whoever, like Danny Glover especially, like feeding off these guys with mm-hmm. that little, like, I mean, they they do so well, you know what I mean? Like yeah. where they just, I, I, I just feel like they were all in the same Pay, I don't know. 
Moving along, let's get into our trash and treasure. Uh, Bling, what is your trash and treasure with this movie? Honestly, I can't really think of a lot of trash, but I know for, for at least for treasure, I mean, the ensemble cast, how, you know, when you have a, a film with this many big name actors in it, how you all give them a time to shine. I think they did a really good job where it's not like, oh, this person's a wasted character. He doesn't, he doesn't move the plot along. I felt like everybody, you know, that's part of, you know, Danny Ocean's crew is given time to shine. And it plays a pivotal role in moving the plot and the heist along. So I think that's one of the shining points of this film. It's one of my biggest treasures of this film. Pacing was great. I love how, like I said, they, they build enough backstory on each of the characters without kind of, you know, dragging their feet on, you know, this is what this character is about, this is what the character does. So those are my, my really my two big treasures. Um, I mean, just being in Vegas and just, you know, recreating a Lennox Lewis fight. I mean, I was just like, did that really happen? Did they reuse it? Or did they actually get these two actors or these two boxers to kind of recreate this. And they, Bling, you, they never actually fought, right? Those two guys never actually fought, did I'm they? Tr- I, I, I want to say they did. I oh, try did to rem- I'm trying to remember. I know... Lennox Lewis fought a relative of his. I don't know if it was his uh, son yeah. or... No, there, yeah, no, that's probably his brother. Yeah. He probably fought brother. his brother, yeah. Okay. Vlad, so Vlad, it's one of the Klitschko brothers because okay. I know yeah. they were both uh, heavyweight champs at, at some point. They, they, the director said those two guys were just like total cool about everything like you're asking these professional fighters to get a ring yeah. and act like they're fighting he said they were all about it they were they were they were cool and everything so I mean, I, i'm just surprised they, they they were able to get i don't know if the boxing organizations they prove like usage of i think they use the belts they use i mean yeah even they had the 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 actual announcers uh they had you they know, did from, yeah. yeah they had from espn yeah. i think they, the just, guy from hbo too yeah huh? from yeah. hbo boxing i was like dude they, they, they made this super like Realistic, so I'm yeah. trying to figure out if this was just like actual footage, and he just cut, you know, scenes of them in, or if they actually recreated the whole thing. So I think that's one of my other treasures. Like I said, trash. I'm. You gotta find something, man. I, I honestly, you know, I'll, I'll let you guys, but I, I, I really don't feel any, see anything where it's like. I mean, some of the stuff maybe is over the top. Like, how do you take out those two guards at the vault? Like, okay, there's just like this disc that shoots yeah. out or whatever. Funny I think. story about that. You know how they slide it across? <laughs> yeah. I guess there was a competition of like who could get it closer and like the actors were trying like, like to shuffle Yeah, they were talking about <laughs> it. They actually had like a little game. Yeah. I mean, some. I think some of the 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 devices they use to pull off this heist, I'm kind of like, okay, this is kind of way over the top. Like the self-driving car, I'm like, that's cool now, but I think in 2001, like, I don't think that you could have a machine that could yeah. drive a, tr- a van. I think some of the, like I said, it's some of the James Bond type devices are, it's like, are a little it's over- like too convenient. Yeah, it's yeah. too convenient. It's a little over the top. And even knowing the timing, I'm like, that's some really high grade tech stuff that they have at, you know, for this film. I just thought it was like a little over the top. But other than that, I, I can't really touch on any glaring trash. I feel film. like for the high tech stuff, like this is pretty low end compared to the other two movies. I feel like it just gets exponentially, <laughs> like it grows, especially in the next movie in Ocean's yeah. 12. Oh my God, it's real over the top. But yeah, yeah it, even in this one, it's like, come on, man. Yeah, that's all I got for Trash and Treasure. All right, uh, Jason, what's your Trash and Treasure for this movie? So, like Bling, I don't have a lot of trash. Um, This might sound like a dumb question, but I'm curious, why does Danny hate Terry Benedict so much? So, like, in the scene where Tess is waiting for Terry Benedict in in the restaurant for the first time, Danny walks up, surprises her. He sits down, orders um, a drink, and then they, like, get into this kind of argument and it's like, she says something about like, oh, you're jealous or this and that. And he's like, well, I, I don't care if you move on, but like, just not him, like just not him. And it's like, 
But why? Like, they never go into that. Like, do you guys, like, even throughout the other movies, do you ever hear about something happened prior to this? Yeah, like, you would think that um, Danny would have, like, some sort of past history with this dude. Like, maybe he stole from him before. But the only exposition we get on Terry Benedict prior to them getting to the casino is when Ruben talks about how, like, he has beef with him because, like, he's knocking down, like, his casino or something. But, like, there's nothing specific to Danny Ocean and Terry. Yeah, and I don't, I mean... I understand like the vindictiveness, like the revenge part in like 13, like with Al Pacino, but mm-hmm. I don't get it here. Like we don't get that backstory to understand it completely. I, I understand that comment. We see that, you know, I, I forget his name. Ross's dad is like kind of upset. And, uh, and Ross's dad. <laughs> yeah, Ross. Elliot. Elliot. Yeah. Elliot. Yeah, yeah. So we know, yeah, Ru- yeah, Ruben, Ruben. So we know Ruben's mad, but I don't, I don't feel like that's the main reason he's saying it. It feels like it's something more personal that happened to him, but I, I just wish we would have got some explanation behind that. Or like if they cut something out or maybe it was in the script or something, but like even when Terry sits down or whatever and he actually meets Danny, you can tell he's never like met him before. He just knows of him. Yeah, but they're real like curt. They're real like short with each other. I know in the beginning they were talking about like why Danny went away for the first time and it was over some like Incan or Mayan ceremonial headdresses and stuff like that. Yeah. We don't hear about that ever again. And I have no idea if that's a connection to Terry Bennett, but it's like even that if they would have like, they had to throw in a line or two and it would have been like, oh, okay, that's why he's mad. But I just wish they would have done that. Yeah. Um, one thing that always bugs me when I watch it is like, why does Linus get out of the car when they're still in the pinch? Oh, yeah. It's like, it like, just stay in the fucking van. They don't have to go back and save his ass. Then, you know, um, Yen doesn't hurt his hand. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just like, come on, dude. Um, they almost get caught. I, I just, I hate I that part. I do love Don Cheeto right there. You stupid bastard. <laughs> he says that, dude. That was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't like that part. Um uh, this is more of a question. What happens with betting when, like, on a fight when the power goes out? Do you guys know, like, if something happens in a sporting event, you bet on it like that? Like, I, I don't know. What are you talking about? Like, all, all bets are live. So, like I said, it's one of those things, like, if. Because, I mean, all mayhem ensues, like, after the, the power turns back on, like, there's so many people in the ring and all kinds of stuff. Like, what happens with. I mean, do our bets well, cancel? I'm wondering no, if, no. like, it would have gotten postponed just the actual event itself. Like, if, like, for golf, if there's, like, a weather delay, like, everything just shuts down. Yeah. And then they'll re-go when they're ready to go. I don't. I mean, we don't see the fight going back on. Yeah. So, so t- I don't know. Typically, with all bets on fights, they always predict every outcome, whether it be even a tie or DQ. So they they typically. I think the only time they've ever been, they had a prop bet or a bet for something. I think it was like for there was a prop bet for like Gatorade for what color Gatorade would be for the Super Bowl and. They, I think they they chose a color or they didn't put a color that was available. So they were actually Vegas actually refunded everybody's money. Um, but typically for fights, it's every outcome is predicted. Um, so there should be a, a, an option to bet that outcome. Um, but I know just like any bets in. So you can bet an outcome that the power's going to go out. No, it just, 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 just or there were the fight will not end. Like it'll be a DQ or oh. like or like a, like yeah something happened. That's probably one of the outcomes is, and I think that's the outcome of the fight. It just it's a DQ or no contest. That's an, that is an option. Yeah, I was just I'm stretching for trash here, so it was more of a question. Yeah, so they um, yeah no contest. They probably would have had it as an option. Either way, even if it's not an option, like I said, it's. You know, Vegas is very typical. Any kind of voids or malfunctions always hear the house. So nobody's getting their money back. (laughs) Got it. All right. Okay, this is one I could be completely wrong on. Mm -hmm. So they got the pinch. So they know the power is going to go out. Like that is part of the plan, part of the scheme. Mm -hmm. When Yen is inside the container... And maybe I'm getting this mixed up between what's actually happening and what's what's being staged. But why doesn't Yen hop out of the container when the power's out? 
isn't the vault on some sort of different? No, no, no. He he was already out when the power went out. Was he? Yeah. But why not wait until the power's out to get out? So when Damon and Clooney are going to go down the elevator, that's shaft, when the power's cut in. Vegas. Why couldn't Yen get out of right then and there? Um, oh, I think that's he. That's what he's asking. Oh, okay, okay. asking right? Okay. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have an explanation. I think you had because it was such. A, it was only like a thirty-second window where the power getting out, like. I think Yen had to see where he was going because he didn't want to like just get out and all of a sudden like I'm not you know where where am I? Where, what are you he, talking about? Just get out of the thing in general? Like I, yeah, I get what you're. I get what I'm saying because yeah. I, I think you still need to be see where everything's at because yeah, you he ultimately needed to get to the other side to get to the door to plant the explosives. Yeah. So I think that's why you you couldn't do it if you're because yeah if you, if you do it in darkness like all of a sudden okay I can't see where I'm at I need to get off the floor in time I think it's that's why they. But I mean they they built a, a stage of this vault. He knows <laughs> yeah. exactly where. Things at I mean a fucking flashlight. Okay, but like, but I mean look at this. It's just like you know I play I play baseball. If you tell me vault. I you know, look I play baseball. If you tell me to run to first base blindfolded, I'm probably not gonna touch the base. I might run off track to like a certain degree, or I might trip over the base. Like I kind of need to see where it is so I can touch it. You know, I think I think it's the same thing. Like yeah, he's good at backflips, but he didn't practice blindfolded. You know, if that was part of the plan to to jump blindfolded, then I could agree with that. But I think it's just like. He's doing a backflip, like with no like yeah. backing start or anything like that. He kind of needs to see where he's going. That's just my yeah. two cents. But I don't know. I just feel like he could have done some of whatever he did while the power was out. Whether yeah. that's running across the ground and putting the stuff on the door, to, the explosives on the door. I don't know. I just feel like he could have utilized that time. Mm. But you know, maybe I'm wrong. And then just my last trash, which is just dumb. It's just the batteries and the controller. Dude, dying. I hate that part. Yeah. I'm like, what? What heist? Do you go? You got extra batteries just in case? There's no fucking way. Uh, oh yeah. I just thought that was stupid. Um, so my treasure, I'll run through this pretty quick. Uh, I kind of said this earlier, but everything has a purpose. I think from every line, every action, um, every setup, everything, we're left with questions during the movie. Everything gets answered. Um, I, I love that about this movie. I think the opening of the movie is great with George Clooney when he's sitting there. Like he doesn't say a lot, but he does say like stuff with his eyes and just everything. I just love how they 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 shoot that. Bernie Mac is definitely a treasure. I think he's amazing in this. Brad Pitt teaching the movie stars to gamble. I just think it's hilarious. That's a great scene. I just it's just so funny. Like Topher Grace. Three and, three pairs. You can't have three pairs. What do you mean? You can't have six cars and five cars. And then Topher Grace is like, guess what, guys? All red. All it's red. just like, oh shit. <laughs> What's the guy that's on the Dawson's Creek? Was it just like Joshua Josh? Jackson? And he yeah. keeps dealing to the right, to the left. I'll get it. I'll get it. Like you can't, you can, you know, lines. You can't remember to go to the left. You know. You know what's funny about that scene? I've actually trained people. People like that with playing poker and they made those mistakes I'm like all reds I'm like no 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 they have to be like all diamonds or all you can't just have all colors it's not the, a the favorite part though is the you can't have six cards <laughs> I love that part all the little movements it's like you know Topher Grace's hands like way out here he's talking about his hand and like Brad Fish is like kindly putting his hand back just like all these little like parts that happen within that scene I just think it's amazing um when Ruben talks about the three attempts of robbing a Vegas casino uh, I like that the kind of flashbacks when George Clooney and Brad Pitt go over the crew for the job and they introduce one by one and kind of talk about what they're good at or introduce the twins or I like all that. Um, the Mormon twin scene with the trucks. Oh yeah, that's great. I, I love that part. Um, I like Don Cheadle. He's a, he's a treasure of mine. I think the Cockney stuff is funny, even though he doesn't like his accent. I think it just adds, you know, some humor to the movie. 
the scene with uh, Matt Damon when he's playing the rep for the National Gaming or Nevada Gaming Council or whatever, the NGC, and Bernie Mac when they're sitting in that room with Terry Benedict. I think that's an amazing scene too. We were talking about this earlier when Basher's covering his balls when the EMP goes <laughs> off. I just thought, and I guess that was improv too. That was yeah. pretty funny. The first time you watch this, the twist at the end where they're, where they're the SWAT team too, I just like, holy fuck, man. Like these guys, again, it just kind of talks about my first treasures. Just like everything is so well thought out and has a purpose. And then just my last treasure is, is something really simple, but I like how Terry Benedict figures out that the vault's staged and yeah. it's just not having the Bellagio written down. It's just something they pro- none of the crew knew about when they're setting this up, But because th- I think he said it happened two days prior to the yeah. fight. Yeah. So it's just like the one thing they forgot and like this guy's just so fucking Sharp. in tune like yeah. and so smart and he's just like and he's not even in the room he asks the guy on the radio hey can you go back to this footage he's like what's written on the floor he's like well there's nothing he's like oh we had Bellagio written down here on two days ago so like they just didn't know this small fact and that's how he knew he's like this didn't happen in my vault like it's just fucking crazy so that's my trash and treasure all right Mugga what's your trash and treasure uh, I'll start with my trash. Uh, I, I don't like the whole pinch arc thing about it. I think they could have done a better way of cutting just instead of all of Vegas, just just a I mean, you, they already snuck in, you know, like they got control of like security camp. I, I mean, why can't we just I don't know. I just didn't I didn't really buy all that. Um, Brad Pitt as the doctor. Do you guys like that? When he just someone call a doctor. I, I don't know. I just didn't like that part. I thought it was, I thought it was funny. Plus, I mean, they needed a way to sneak out uh, Saul anyway. They needed a way to get him yeah. out. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, again, I'm reaching like you guys. I'm just fine. Did you guys... George Clooney looks sharp, you know, the whole movie. Rusty is always dressed, you know, a fl- you know. Matt Damon's character just looks poor. Like, have you seen his, like, the coat that he always wears in Chicago? I don't know. Like, the way, he, what he's, the way he's dressed, like, he has, like, no fashion sense, like Linus. I don't know. He just looks so boring. I think the point is for him to be as unassuming as possible. Really? So that way he can steal from people. Like, because oh, if you're right, right up against them and you pickpocket you gotta you gotta look as plain as possible so yeah. nobody remembers you and, and, imagine being on the l train and like you're wearing this badass suit and everyone's wearing like fucking regular clothes you see i'm not saying and that. like people get, are gonna focus on him where they like yeah. oh that's a okay, cool suit when he like, goes to the to the the place in vegas the elliot's house or he just looks cheap i mean not stealing from them i mean i don't i don't know i just didn't. well i think he's also got to i mean granted now he's a lot older but i mean when you compare him with the, the rest of the cast he's like the kid in yeah the, so he's got to be the guy yeah. that's kind of dressed for like college so i think that's why he's dressed down he's not a seasoned vet like the rest of the crew yeah like visually you have to show that he's uh he's green like visually you you got to show it that he hasn't really like learned uh, what it okay. is to be what they do um the scene with Livingston Dell when he goes in and he sneaks into the... In, uh, like, the server room, yeah. Yeah, and I get it, but what, the whole point of the end is just like, why do we need to have that where if he gets caught, then I understand where he looks at his palm and he can't see it, yeah. but it really has nothing to do wait, with... Wait, what are you talking about? So you know about? how he goes in to, to hack into the system, right? Yeah. And while he's doing that, it shows that he wipes his... Because he, he needs a map, map yeah, of the thing map, on his, yeah, on his palm. Yeah. And the guy then's like, excuse me, and he's like, because he can't find his way out. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you think he's going to get in trouble, but all he really does is nothing, you know? I, yeah. I just, I don't know, I thought it was pointless. And it kind of shows that Vegas security is just kind of like incompetent. I don't like, I don't know if I, I, I thought no, it was the, funny. It was funny. Really? Like, that was it, funny? It, it I gave a little it, suspense just, because he thought like he was going to get caught. But then nothing he, happened to nah, him, nah, you know? Yeah. Like, that's, that's the point. It's just like little moments like that show you the kind of characters you're dealing with. Like yeah. Don Cheadle covering his balls. It's like a little character moment, no, you know? I get that. Like, just the other scene, I don't know. Because we show this guy guy's clumsy, you know, like every interaction they've had with everybody else has been kind of 
tailored to uh, their persona. So like uh, you meet Linus, he's pitpocketing, and then you find out George Clooney's better at it than he is because he manages to not only take out the wallet but also insert his business card, yeah. right? When you go to uh, Bernie Mac, you know, George Clooney finds him at a casino, already knows that he's using a fake name, and he, he has him on the job. Like when we meet this um, IT guy or this tech guy and he's trying to meet them at the restaurant, he gets tangled up by the dog cord. Yeah. So like this is just one of those moments that shows you what type of character you're dealing with. And we know that out of all these people, like he's the clumsy guy. Like, I, But I think I already knew it prior to this. But I, I think it just adds some yeah. suspense to the scene, honestly. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's I think it's a good character moment. Um, Daniel Ocean getting beaten up by the friend. I don't know, like the whole time, like, it's supposed to be going on when he gets beat up. Shouldn't he have looked a lot worse than what he did? Like, I agree. Like, yeah. I'm just like, come on, man. Like at least sell a little bit more. And I, I didn't like that. Um, I don't understand bling. Mm-hmm. Those three casinos are not near each other. MGM on one corner, Bellagio and the Mirage. There's no way they would share a vault, right? Underground. Um, I mean, it's they, no, they said that there's no vault for you, it regardless, you to, you, but you, yeah, you have to understand too, is that most of the properties in, in Vegas are owned by two entities. One's right. by Caesars, one's by MGM. So right. it, I, I like how it was accurate because Bellagio, MGM, MGM and, Mirage. and Mirage are all owned by MGM properties. But they don't have a vault underneath that share. I, 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 honestly, yeah. I, I don't know the logistics of their- okay, I'm just trying to find it, things that I, because I yeah. really do like this movie. But I mean, we it's at least, it is uh, property accurate that you know they, if they were connected- it would those, those would three, be the ones that would be connected. Those are connected. Um, the battery thing, I don't like that as well. Um, this is, I just had to put in the trash because the director, there's no way of explaining how they got the call girls cards to replace the money that they blew up down in the vault. Like it makes no sense how they ever would have got that down there. If you guys think about it. And I kind of, I, I yeah. put it in trash because they never explained it. They said, we really don't know how we got it down there. We just, it's part of the movie, you know? Yeah. And, um, that was my trash. Just picking at little things, getting the treasures. I think the acting for one is just so great. And I have specific scenes when Brad Pitt's giving Matt Damon advice on what to do. Don't look up, don't look down, don't look, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if whatever you do, under no circumstances, and then, he, and then he has to like leave, or Rusty, he has to leave and he doesn't get to say exactly what it is. And so he's like freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brad Pitt scene with uh, George Clooney, he goes, so, so Saul makes 10, 10 ought to be enough. And Brad Pitt's not answering him at all, just sitting there. I, I thought that was like a funny thing. The two brothers that they play off each other, like the whole Eva Knievel when he guesses his name in two guesses. Yeah. And I, they get all pissed. I goes, damn it. <laughs> and I thought that was funny. Um, and then obviously Bernie Mac and Matt Damon doing their, their their thing, the white jack and all that stuff. I thought that was great. I think Soderbergh said that he based a lot of the twins' interactions based off of his kids. Oh, really? Because like in the van, they're like, don't touch me. I'm not touching you're touching you. me. I'm not touching, I'm not touching you. you. I'm not touching <laughs> you. No, you're touching me now. He's like, you just based all of yeah. what their kids argue about. That was so funny. I, I went over the transitions of how he went to like cuts and all that stuff. I thought that was great. I love, like Jason was saying, the explanation of the heist itself, how they used a little flashbacks to go through it. Cause you're still kind of confused. You're like, how the hell they just do it. And they show you a little thing after a little thing and the whole car freshener at the very end to show you they all along, they had it under control. Mm-hmm. Um, the fountain scene, I'm surprised we haven't kind of gone over this yet. I love it at the very end. You have all the guys in front of the Bellagio water mm-hmm. uh, show and all that stuff. There was talk that when they did private screenings for this, that that should have been the ending. 
Um, it's not because then he goes out of jail. jail. And, the, and, but, it, it and I'm wondering how you guys, if the movie ends right then and there, would it have been okay? Or because you kind of still have some questions like what happens with Tess Clooney? Because he's not on the fountain scene. But uh, I, I do love that fountain scene, how they all one by one take off of like, hey, accomplish as they're just looking at the place they just robbed. I thought that was really cool. I mean, I'm cool with it. Yeah. I, I don't mind it. I'm not, I don't mind it either, but I, I do love the fountain scene. You know, I think yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, and I think, shots. And yeah. I think if you need closure, I mean, like, it only makes sense because, you know, Danny went back to jail or whatever. Like, yeah. you know, these guys got their 10 mil or whatever. You know, Danny, like, he got his real prize, which is Tess at the end. Yeah. You know, so I think, I think, like, the batch of people get closure and then well, Danny. Well, the director said, we have to have that. We can't end it here. You have to have the next scene following it. You know? Yeah. I, I think if you had it planned from the get go that this was going to be like, you know, almost like, like a Joker film where it's like, we're not doing, we're not planning for sequels. We don't care what this is one and done. And that's it. You could have ended there and there, but I think they, they left it open. They left it open. It, what, yeah. what do those guys do? I mean, are they chasing? Are they going to go yeah. beat them up? I, I, I think, money, I think you know? if they have to leave it open because yeah. then it's, if the movie does well, which it did, you set up for sequels, oh, which yeah. you do. And so, yeah, that's why you have it. But yeah, just overall, I, I really enjoy this movie. I, I'm, I'm kind of like what you said. You watch it once a year. I watch it once a year. I, yes. I probably do. If it's on TV, I'm watching it. You know, yeah. I watch some well, of the other Well, I own too, it. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm going to watch it. And sometimes I say I'm going to watch you know just one of them but I end up watching all three again (laughs) but yeah that's my trash and treasure all right what about you Kerwin uh for me yeah just like the rest of y'all like I was reaching for a lot of my trash um I don't even know if I should even read these because they're just so fucking lame. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing that does irritate me, and we've talked about this in a lot of movies, uh, low frame rate, slow motion just irks me for whatever reason. It mm-hmm. takes me out of the movie. But I think um, I think either uh, Mugger or Jason, you guys brought this up about how they had to slow down. The what, pull. Yeah. yeah, so I think they weren't planning for slow motion. No, they weren't. So yeah. They, yeah. they said they did it out of desperation just so you could see what was going on. Yeah, so I think all, all things considered, you know, under those circumstances, they had to uh, stylistically frame the scene that way, and that is why it looks so choppy. So I, I can appreciate that, but that's just something in movies that, you know, generally, like, bothers me for whatever reason. Um, nobody notices Don Cheadle just opening a random-ass manhole in the middle of, like, Vegas and just jumping in. He has like, three cones, and it's like, really, you're going to stop a whole lane with that? <laughs> yeah, like, and you're not even in, like, construction worker attire. You just you just walk your ass over there and then just jump in. Nobody notices. It reminds me of in uh, National Treasure how they just park a bright red van next to the, uh, to the subway or whatever. Or even, like, in Ghostbusters. In Ghostbusters, too, they just pull up this truck, and they just start going down there and fishing and all the ooze, and the cops are like, dude, what are you guys doing here? Like, you can't just set up a truck. Just go down there. Yeah, like you would think something like that would happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, like you said, Muggs, uh, I don't have an issue with the tech guy having his like little panic fit going down to the server rooms. But I, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, why don't you just write the directions on a sheet of paper? Yeah. Like, why'd you have to write them on your hand? Man. And if your hands are that sweaty, like the gloves shouldn't have helped anyway. <laughs> so I, I didn't get that. Um, also, same as you, Jason, Linus not staying in the van. And um, that's that's all my trash, honestly. Um, my treasure, uh, the celebrity poker scene is hilarious. All the things you said, Mugs. Uh, shout out to Del the Funky Homo Sapien playing when uh, Rusty's at the burlesque show. So I appreciate that, uh, hieroglyphics. Um, I love the humor in this movie, just the delivery. All the performances are on point. Every single person in this movie is just so good. And like the humor is just like dry, fast, witty. It's like the kind of humor that I, I definitely vibe with. I really appreciate it. Um, the editing in this movie is like fucking crazy, yeah. man. Like the editing is so well done, whether it's um, transitioning between um, different cons or different scenes that are happening, uh, the way um, 
you know, you kind of split the screen at certain moments in the movie. Uh, the cinematography in this film is really good. Like the the color palette is really good. Um, Mugga, you talked about them wanting to possibly film this in black and white. Yeah. It feels like it was shot to be released in black and white because you have a lot of contrast. Uh, like there's like the heavy blacks and like the solid colors. Like um, it, it's kind of flat and it feels like it just has this graphic quality to it that makes you feel like it could be a black and white movie. Yeah. So I really like that. Does it does it almost feel Maybe I'm stretching here, but almost Tarantino-ish a little bit, like the way it's shot. Like one thing that always reminds me of that is when uh, it's Rusty and Danny, and they're driving in the car, and the camera's like, and they're well, it's in the mounted on the back, oh, on the yeah, back. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, this reminds me of like Pulp Fiction almost. Yeah. And it's just like some of the fast cuts, the way that the dialogue's so dry. It's just one person, another person's looking at you. It's like. I don't know. Some of some of the cuts feel like that. Of course, it's not as gritty, but just the way they cut it. Yeah, I think um, I don't know how old Steven Soderbergh is, or like I haven't seen all his movies, but um, he could be one of the people that was influenced by Tarantino, possibly, or like this is just his style because like um, in some of the other movies he's done, like he does have that style, and I think. him, uh, Guy Ritchie, Tarantino, like there's specific people out there like Chris Nolan, like when you watch a movie, somebody doesn't even have to tell you who it is and you automatically know who directed it. And I think one of the things that I love most about this movie and this whole series is that Steven Soderbergh's style is just all over it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I love it to death, man. It's, it's so cool. Uh, like I said, the cast, um, the character introductions, every single character introduction is done, you know, with a purpose to show you just exactly the kind point, of, huh? yeah, yeah, just everything is tailored to their ability. Bernie Mac going undercover using a fake name, you know, the tech guy being clumsy, Linus being a pickpocket, Brad Pitt being his number two and basically using his um, celebrity card school as a way to just pretty much take all their money. The twins uh, or the, the Mormon brothers just having their race to show off their relationship. And then, you know, nice setup for the remote control van because very early in the movie, Casey Affleck is driving a remote control monster truck. So that that was a nice setup for the end of the movie. Um, just just everybody has their role and I love it I love when they get Basher out of police custody mm-hmm. and oh, you know yeah. he just gets himself out blows up the police car yeah. Yeah. yeah every single scene tells you exactly the kind of person you're dealing with personality wise and skill wise it tells you um, what they're attracted to in their line of work even Ruben he wasn't interested at all until they said it was Terry Benedict. So just little tiny moments like that really, really stand out and build a lot of the character. And what I appreciate the most is that they do the same thing with Terry Benedict. They spend the whole movie talking about this guy and you never see him once. It's not until like 42 minutes into the movie that you finally see him and they do the exact same thing with him. Linus goes over his schedule He's like a machine. I mean, they say it in the movie. He's just on time, knows everything. And they really give a lot of great exposition into uh, his kind of daily routine. And then they do the same thing with Tess. And that's, you know, just everything just flows so smoothly. And like you said, Jason, not a single scene or shot or bit of dialogue in this movie is wasted at all. And I also like the contrast in how Danny and Terry... Uh, I like the way they contrast Danny and Terry's relationship with Julia Roberts' character, uh, Tess. When she's looking at art and she asks Terry if he likes it, he all he says is, you know, I like it if you like it or because you like it. And that's it. 
And that's just a bullshit response. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But Danny, when he sits down, even though like Tess is pissed off that he's here, he actually talks about the artist's history, yeah. talks about their work. He he talks about how he's confused between Manet and Manet Monet. And Monet. <laughs> yeah, just just the level the level of interaction with them two. You know, Terry won't kiss Tess in front of a camera. Well, there's no affection and they show it between Benedict and Tess, and there is affection. There's it's like they're they're angry, but there's still like something there, right? There's there's yeah, some emotion yeah. involved. Yeah. yeah. Like Terry won't even kiss her in front of a camera. camera yeah, yeah. But like George Clooney's character, Danny, he's Danny's willing to go through security and go right up to her, yeah. knowing he could get caught, kicked yeah. out by the same guy he's trying to rob. He's willing to he's willing to risk it all. Yeah. And just uh Terry's not. But um I mean, you guys, you guys said most of my stuff, but um, I mean, one of the scenes that made me laugh was just uh, when Brad Pitt says to the stripper, you know, say hi to your mom for me. And Charmaine's just yeah. like, say it to yourself. Yeah, She'll be on stage in five minutes. minutes. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty hilarious. Um, I like that the team faces adversity. Things go along a little too well at the beginning for them. So I like that, although it pisses me off, Linus jumping out of the van, I like that um, Yen now has his hand injured. I like that uh, the demolition project caused them to need to get the pinch. I like that uh, Danny now has security detail on him. So I appreciate some sort of adversity happening to them because they're just all too good at their jobs, you know? So I appreciate that little things getting thrown their way actually forces them to kind of adapt. And then kind of my, my last thing is just the elaborateness of their plot. It's crazy how it's just written. You know, so I got a couple examples. So getting Frank a job at the casino is all just so he can get busted by Linus, just so Linus can steal the codes. Like everything leads up to that one moment. Uh, purposefully getting Benedict to put security detail on Danny so that Danny um, isn't uh, like a prime suspect, even though Terry still kind of suspects him, but it removes all suspicion because you, you did that on purpose. Like you want him focusing on you while all this stuff is happening in the background. Like the whole Zerga character, all it is is just to distract the security guys so they can change the camera feed. That whole plot of him needing the briefcase, all they needed to do was have the guys look away from the screen so they could flip the monitor. Cutting uh, electricity to most of the city just so they can jump down a hole. You know know what I'm saying? Like it's not even to to take the money, it's just to go down a hole. So I appreciate just the effectiveness or the elaborateness of their plan and the writing in this movie is is amazing. Um, But my last thing is, um, I actually kind of like the batteries joke. Really? I'll tell you why. Because in a lot of movies or a lot of times people will say something stupid like, oh, did you check the batteries? Did you check the batteries? That's like a joke in a lot Uh, of movies. But in this movie, the joke is that that is actually the problem. So I appreciate the cleverness of that joke. You know, in a movie you say something like that and you know, you just say it to be an asshole. But in this movie, when Matt Damon says it, he literally pulls out a pack of batteries and they change it and then the door blows open. So I appreciate, I appreciate the joke because it's making fun of the joke itself. Does so it's almost Matt Damon than, yeah. <laughs> like repeat the same thing that George Clooney told him earlier? Like if you lose focus in, at, for one second in this, in this scheme, like you can lose it all. And I think when George Clooney goes to hit it, and it's the batteries. Matt Damon says the exact same line back to George Clooney. He's like, if you lose focus for just one second, he says the exact It's like, it is pretty funny, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like they're saying that to the audience. Because look at all the things we're picking up today talking about this movie. Yeah. I, I think it's, that's a message to the audience, too. It's just like, pay fucking close attention because there's a lot of things going on. Like you said, Jason, 
everything means something in this movie. Yeah. So I, I definitely appreciate just the elaborateness of the plot, the scheme, and how tightly the script is written. So I, I love this movie. So that's my trash and treasure. Can I bring up one more thing? And I, I want to wait to the very end. There's a deleted scene that I wish would have made the cut. Really? Um, oh. You were just talking about the character development and all that stuff and how things keep adding as they keep going on, not just their introduction. Um, Ruben's character, so he's the financier of the whole thing, right? I guess prior to Danny Ocean going to a, a meet test for the last time, I'm pretty sure it's on this one, because he goes to that restaurant twice, which is in Bellagio. Yeah. Uh, it was going to do that transition where you're going to see Ruben's character taking escort girls, or yeah, call girls, and they were like doing something, and he was like, come on, ladies, the meter's running, and then they were going to transition to that. I guess they cut it out, you know, but, yeah, and I wish, I wish, I wish they would kind of kept that in, because I thought I'd been funny, but, but yeah, that did happen, but, um, but what you were saying is, everything that was in there, there's not a lot of deleted scenes from this movie, because everything was just so well written, and they just all did a great job and added to the story, but yeah. Well, another fun fact is, I, I heard Bill Murray was supposed to be a lounge singer, Oh, really? Yeah, really? And, yeah, in the movie, but uh, the part was dropped when he was busy filming uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. Royal too. Tenenbaums yeah. Yeah. The Tenenbaums screwed up this movie, huh? Yeah, yeah. dude. And they were in that ensemble film, too. Yeah. yeah. And I think this movie did just fine. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right, so let's get into uh, our ticket prices. So, Bling, how much would you pay to watch Ocean's Eleven? I think just from a tone, and you probably can see where I'm going with this, this is hands down a $20 flick. Like, going 20, it, huh? 20, yes. Wow. I think this is my second, only my second film that I've given a $20 to. And it's, it, like I said, it's a film I watch every year. Every year, I, I always, every time I watch it, I feel like I pick up on something I didn't pick up on the last time. Um, so, like this time around, um, I think one thing I picked up on was uh, when Danny meets up with Frank at the table and he says, hello, Frank. And like, I think you got me mistaken. I'm, I'm Ramon. And he's all like, Danny's like, I don't, you know, I'm going to leave. The, the cards are dried up. He's like, oh, you should go to the Caesar, the lounge at the Caesars that one. They heard, and it's, it was like a, like a code word, like, hey, this is where you want to meet me up later yeah. on. I think that's something I picked up on this time. Like, oh, it's, they were using code to kind of know where to meet up. But I mean, like I said, everything about this film is just, like I said, it's just an ensemble film where everybody plays a part. Um, and it's been, I mean, this f film is almost 20 years old and I don't feel like it's aged at all. I still feel like it's relevant today and it's just, like I said, to me, it's, it's a film that does everything right. Pacing. It's, it's aged very well. Yeah, yeah, it's aged very well. Pacing's great. Use of the actors and just, um, really just kind of setting things up for a franchise, which is what we have. So, uh, $20. Jason, how much would you pay to watch Ocean's Eleven? All right, so now it's difficult because Bling's giving it a 20. I was hovering between a 15 and a 20. I was leaning more towards 15, but now I'm thinking, is this a 20? Shit, I wish I wasn't going second on this one. I think I'm going I'm to have to go 22. I'm going to have to go 20 as well. Again, I watched this again yesterday morning, and I watched it with Elizabeth. It was her first time watching it, and like she had a ton of shit to do yesterday. And like she actually hung out until the end of the movie and watched it. She's like, well, what's going on here? And like she's like not a big movie person, but she hung around and like watched the whole movie. And I was like, holy shit. And I was, she's like, I was like, you can go if you need to. Like we can watch this. She said, no, I want to finish this. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, you just think about the cast. I, like you were saying, Bling, it still holds up today. If I were to change anything, I don't know what I would change. I, I don't. I, I don't have a lot of trash. I was stretching a lot for it. I appreciate a lot of things in the movie. It keeps me interested. It's entertaining every time I watch it. If you would have asked me a week ago if I would have given this a 20, I probably would have said 15. But I think just after watching it again yesterday, doing some of the research this week, I think I feel pretty confident in giving it a 20. Mugga, how much would you pay? 
If you would have asked me last week when we decided to do it, I'd have said, this is going to be a 15, solid 15. If not, but um, like you guys, this is not a movie that I want to watch on a Saturday morning when you're nursing a hangover or to fill time. Like this is an exciting movie. When I wanted to review this, I had no problem putting this movie on again to watch it and doing the review. So I I enjoy it. Um, I think it gives entertainment for all types of people who love movies, not just certain, you know, individuals. So I, I, I too, am going to go 20. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, my ticket price, I'm paying 20. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> yo, this is, wow. yo, real talk, this is like one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Uh, like, yo, we all had to reach for our trash, honestly. Uh, I was definitely reaching for my trash. I was just nitpicking, but um, just, I love movies where things just, I don't know, like it's just seamless. Like it's an entirely seamless, stylistic experience. Um, and like you were saying, Bling, like this movie has aged very, very well. It's almost timeless. Mm-hmm. Like the technology they use could fit in any era. You know, yeah, they use a couple flip phones. Yeah, uh, they use yeah, a, yeah, they use a couple flip phones here and there. But you know, nothing makes you say like, oh, this is definitely like a '90s movie or a '2000s movie. It's just like this movie could exist in any era. And I think that goes to the uh, the sensibility of the director. Like when you're when you're dealing with Vegas and Vegas and films, other places too, like Hollywood or New York those settings tend to have this timeless quality about them. And I think um, that definitely lends itself to this film and making it feel like it's just perfect in any era. So, yo, I'm giving this movie $20. Do you want me to do the math? You guys know what we got. (laughs) We're giving this a perfect score of 20. So that's our first $20 ticket, man. Wow, perfect. No, I thought we had one other one, didn't we? Nah, we had two two 19s. I know on, yeah, Back to the Future, I gave that a 15. What was the other one that was in? Forrest Gump. Oh, you gave that a 15. Yeah, I gave that a 15, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. If we had a fifth person, would have changed. I don't know. I I don't know. It depends who that fifth person (laughs) is. Uh, One fun fact I do want to add is when when this film came out on DVD, I was actually working Best Buy at retail, and this film sold out right away. And one of the things I hated having to do is people always wanted to get the sale price because you would save like five bucks. So I had to write a ton of rain checks and then basically it says, okay, here's a rain check. You know, when it comes back in, you're guaranteed the sale price. And I remember, I think I had like 20 or 30 rain checks. So every time a ship came in, we'd have to set some aside before we could actually put it on the floor. And this was like the DVD era when, you know, DVDs were still a new medium. And I know this was one of those films where it sold out right away. I had to write a bunch of rain checks. I had to make sure that we honored rain checks first before we put product out on the floor, so. Yeah. But, uh, yo, this is a perfect movie, but would adding Tom Cruise to it make it even better? So uh, who would you guys want to see uh, Tom Cruise play in this movie if he was in it? I don't, I don't know. That's tough. I don't know. I think Matt Damon's character of Linus. Yeah. You, don't, you don't think of Terry Benedict? Ter- I, I just think, and I, the reason, why, I think Andy Garcia nails it. Here's one of the reasons. When he's getting robbed, um, he walks out of the, because you see him on that dash that he has where he's all pissed off, where you see him in the back, it's a it's a soundstage that they had at the end. He's walking also doing that. And they said he was so in character for this, he just nailed it, that he's able to, when they film two things, match it up. And it looks like it was just one continuous walk. I, and I thought the way he's, his just very, his his tone is just, I, I, I get what you're saying, but I just couldn't do it. Do you know that they filmed those scenes two weeks apart? Yes, and, that's what, and, they, and they, yeah. they cut it exactly to where it's like, it looks like he was just walking the entire time, yeah. you know, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, no, I mean that's a good one. I, I would go. I would, and I like Matt Damon in a sense. 
I really like Matt Damon in the other two, but I think if I had to pick, I don't even know if I want Tom Cruise in this movie, dude. You know, yeah, like, exactly, I don't. Exactly, it's like, yeah. Like I don't know who I, I don't. I mean, he could be. Maybe he's the guy that Matt Damon uh, steals from on the train. <laughs> yeah, yeah I like, mean, maybe, maybe that could be him, or he could be one of the celebrities. Well, the celebrities playing, he's saying teaching, po- yeah. Or Rusty's te- teaching poker too. Well, the the tech guard or the tech guy where he's at the strip club and she steals off the the badge <laughs> off of him. He could be that guy. Yeah. yeah. Or he could be the security guard that's like, hey, you forgot your your thingy. Yeah. Uh, maybe I don't know. Yeah. Or like it's like a pit boss or something. There's somebody that's like that you know that addresses the the, the Malloy brothers when they're, they're fighting in the casino. Uh, yeah. I think yeah I think Tom Cruise's role would be like a, just like a cameo. I yeah. think it would be the best one. Yeah, but he would be he would actually be good at poker though. Yeah, yeah, can't do Tom Cruise like that. Yeah. Or one of the guys where they do the flashbacks of the three guys that like steal from Vegas. He could be like one of the guys uh, running out of Caesar's Palace. They did have take my breath away on what oh. happened. Tom okay, how sick would it be if all three flashbacks were Tom Cruise in different makeup? <laughs> uh, yeah. That, okay, I think that's that's the best one. Like Tom Cruise in all three flashbacks as the guy stealing money. That'd be yeah. pretty cool. But uh, anybody else got anything they want to say about Ocean's Eleven? All right, so that was our first uh, $20 ticket movie. And uh, in the words of Tom Cruise, fuck you, Sally. Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20Ticket at gmail.com. That's 2-0, the numbers, $20Ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts and thank you for listening. Uh, all right, so let's get into. I gotta stop saying so. Jeez. Uh, what what's another I can use? Next. Next. Okay. All right. Moving along. Yeah, moving along. Okay. There you go. Moving along. All right. So let's get into. Uh, <laughs>